0: to Macintosh and Mod haven't seen what the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana.
1: And I'm David.
0: And today we start a new series.
1: A new series based yeah. off of a movie from an old series.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, uh, we did some horror films because David had seen zero mm-hmm. um, and
1: Diana had seen surprisingly low amounts.
0: I I I've had a really weird relationship with horror films over my life, and particularly like the last two years, I've just been like, let's watch all of them. Um, So this year, we decided to watch all of one particular series, and that is the Freddy Krueger series.
1: Freddy knife hands. Freddy
0: murder fingers or Freddy knife hands, um, which is what we've been calling it around our house. Um, <laughs> but yes, it's the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Uh, we've already done first one which we'll repost so that you can listen to us so many years ago and so today we are starting with the sequel a nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge
1: a teenage boy is haunted in his dreams by deceased child murderer freddy krueger who is out to possess him in order to continue his reign of terror in the real world
0: all right how do we feel about this one
1: First of all, how many of these have you seen?
0: So this was another series that like they played these a lot on television because they, while there is gore, it's not terribly graphic. Uh,
1: I don't know about that. Well,
0: they just like it's more creepy than graphically like bloody in some of these films. So they would play these on TV a lot
1: you can you can edit around some of the more very grotesque moments, sure and get away with airing this probably later at night
0: <laughs> and there's not a ton of curse words. there's there's like a bleeping them is not a problem. yeah, and like very few of them have nudity, so like just put them on TV. who cares because again, I did not have cable growing up. Mm-hmm. so I had seen the first one. I did not remember seeing any of this one. I know I've seen bits of three mm-hmm. and i know for a fact that i have seen new nightmare i don't all i remember about new nightmare is being incredibly confused <laughs> um and when we get to it i it'll be very obvious why i was so confused of course but yeah i didn't i didn't know this one particularly i really had no i'd know i had no idea about it
1: and to be fair you could be forgiven for that because this movie has literally nothing to do with the first one very little way better than it has any right to be it
0: it is it's really it's 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 definitely an anomaly for a couple of reasons so to start off the budget was 3 million dollars which in 1985 for a horror film totally on par um mm-hmm. it opened at 2.8 million dollars it grossed 30 million dollars
1: these are money printing
0: machines. Yeah, actually, had this film failed, New Line Cinema would not have survived. It was a big enough hit that it gave the studio cash flow. And New Line Cinema like, just kept chunk- turning these out so that they could do Critters and then the John Waters movies so that they could be kind of like a good player in the 90s. Um, but like when this film was being made, they were like, we're on fumes. No no idea.
1: It's really interesting because in the 90s, New Line became the place that released the kind of edgy blockbuster movies. The things that were super popular, but were also like, ooh, this is a little different.
0: Yes, they were kind of how A24 is now. That's uh. that, like the first couple years of A24. We were are sort of like, this is an odd movie. How do we market this? Those are A24s. That's kind of how New Line Cinema was. It's like this probably isn't going to be like hit with all like the super big demographics, but probably enough for us to make money. So let's do it.
1: Okay, l- l- let me let me redirect here. New Line Cinema, as I recalled, was the studio that put out Austin Powers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's very different than A twenty four.
0: Yeah, but Austin Powers was what nineteen ninety nine. Seven. Ninety-seven. This is nineteen eighty-five. Things change a lot
1: yeah, fair. in
0: twelve years.
1: Also, the eighties are the weirdest mix of giant blockbusters and the dreck that you have never ever heard of in your life.
0: Yeah, it's awesome.
1: It was boomer bust for that entire decade. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, this is—it's a money printing machine. So why not continue to make it? Yeah. However, like, like you said, it, without this one, they couldn't have done it. And part of the reason it does that is that it continues the lore, mm-hmm. pushes it in a slightly new direction without taking away any of the elements that were great from the first one.
0: Well, <laughs> our creator doesn't feel that way.
1: I'm sure
0: he does not. Wes Craven, who created Freddy Krueger and who was also the director of Nightmare on Elm Street, was very against a sequel he did not want anything to do with the sequel he did not want to direct this he hates this film
1: sounds about right
0: he thought the script was substandard and took too many liberties with with kruger and broke too many of the rules set up in the original uh, specifically the pool scene the pool scene is going to come up a lot they're like that would never happen
1: yeah well how so though i mean i I, we could say that but i don't think it does i think Again, you can set up new rules, but the whole point of this movie is Freddie has possessed a kid.
0: Sure. But that's the thing is Freddie is killing outside of himself and outside of dreams. Those were the rules that were established.
1: And I don't have a problem with that.
0: Yeah, but him like terrorizing a pool party and trying to kill a bunch of people in the pool, it makes no sense because he wasn't possessing Jesse at that point.
1: Honestly, it's because it's just very poorly done.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's just awful. Like, But also, again, if it was Jesse, then it would make more sense, but he wasn't possessing Jesse at that moment. I still didn't care. <laughs>
1: That's fair. A lot of this movie, again, was still way better than it had any right to be because the moments that click actually make a ton of sense. And then you have a pool scene, which is kind of tacked on for no good reason, but also still kind of works.
0: So. A little more peek behind the curtain on this film is the studio head, Robert Shea, who his name is on all these films. He micromanaged every aspect of this production. He stepped over lines. He offered orders that really should have come from the director and basically ruined any relationship between him and our director, who we'll talk about in a little bit, Jack Shoulder. And he rushed production. Now, we know that they had, like, almost no money. But because of this, tensions were super high, the hours were long, and there was no real time to, like, confirm the direction of the film. It was basically, the last film was released on November 9th, 1984. This one came out November 1st, 1985.
1: That... Yeah. So, we could complain about all that a lot. But, again, yeah. the flip side is... They've got to make some goddamn money.
0: No, I completely agree. But that definitely plays into some of the decisions that were made in this production because they weren't made. They were told.
1: So I guess the problem is, is that I don't know that there's that many moments on screen uh-huh. that unless you know that specific fact, it really makes an impact for the mm-hmm. watching experience. Yeah. Like I, I kind of heard some of the rumors around it and some of the subtext ideas that are going on with the film. Mm-hmm. And then watching it, I was like, it's really not as ever-present as it, you would think it would be based on these problems and production issues. Mm-hmm. It holds together still pretty well. Now, is it great? Does it really transcend and take a new, new concept on the story? No. Mm-hmm. But it's still pretty solid. The story, as constructed, makes a crap ton of sense.
0: All right. Well, since we're there, we're going to talk about writing. Uh-huh. Um, of course, Wes Craven gets a character credit. Talking about Freddy Krueger, uh, mm-hmm. but the 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 actual screenplay comes from David Chaskin. Uh, this is his debut credit. Um, after this, he wrote The Curse, I Mad Men, and Midnight's Child for television. That's really it. He didn't have any big hits like this.
1: Was it? It's good. Mm -hmm. i mean if you think it's not that's fine i just i i watched this movie and was like that makes sense this makes sense okay Eh, this is hokey but i expect that from an 80s horror movie
0: sure the the one piece of criticism they tend to get was why they didn't bring nancy back because she was the first film sole survivor yeah which this is pretty common in a lot of horror films that they just kind of ignore survivors and just continue on which again (laughs) that's fine There is a documentary that we should add to our list called Never Sleep Again, which is about the process of making a lot of this whole series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lane Camp wasn't asked back because David Chaskin, our writer, and our director's concept was that Freddie was going to possess people in the real world. And that didn't make sense with him going after Nancy again. They're just like, she shouldn't be here. So she wasn't asked. um, So yeah, so they moved on to somebody new
1: they had a different take and i don't think that's necessarily wrong (laughs)
0: greed i don't have a problem with that i think our story is actually pretty good i like that we have a male centric character because especially in the 80s that wasn't the case it was always you know murdering girls so it's like oh, we're gonna have the we're gonna have a dude be the main character here and that's cool the homosexual undertones are
1: huge (laughs) number one this movie is sweatier than top gun and top gun is one of the gayest sweatiest movies of the 1980s
0: i mean like we're watching this and he's waking up that sweaty and i was like if you are that sweaty unless you are in texas in the summer without heat you need to go to a hospital because something is wrong
1: oh no he's just glistening
0: he's just so moist he is so moist
1: And this is the bit of lore I knew, right, mm-hmm. was that there, there is an element of homoeroticism that was intended mm-hmm. and maybe didn't necessarily make it all the way through, but it still rings through just in watching it mm-hmm. between being possessed, yeah. the whole possession thing and being like, you're going to be mine. Yeah. When you can't act that out, plus him sneaking into the guy's room in that moment of mm-hmm. like, I can't be around anyone but you. Yeah, and then of course the much grosser in both in both senses of that word scene with the the gym coach.
0: Yeah, but it it plays really well. I think if we had better dialogue, it it could have really like sung so well. This film has become you know a, a gay horror icon. You know Jesse's character is because of all of this, but and rightly so. It's great. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, I mean, you, you can go one of two ways. You could either actually play that, which in 1985, they were never going to fucking do. Like we could talk all we want about studio infringement, but the truth is new line cinema was never going to go for that. No, (laughs) Even even if your producer wasn't a raging asshole. (laughs)
0: Sure. And I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I actually think writing it, with Jesse being gay, like in your mind, the, these are all going to be gay characters. That's fine. And then you pull it back so that it's not explicitly said. I think that plays better.
1: Well, and if if I redid it today, uh huh, what it would be is that he's struggling to come to terms with his sexuality while dealing with all of this. Mm-hmm. And then you play that subtext for the much bigger undertone that it is. Yeah. Where he doesn't understand what's going on. And Freddy is using that to his advantage.
0: Yeah, but just like in a way less homophobic way.
1: Well, of course, but like (laughs) that again. If you're if you're taking the take on it now, it's Mm -hmm. you keep that confusion, yeah, because that's central to the horror. Mm -hmm. But you come to terms with it in a different way, where Jesse is able to be like, "Fuck you, Freddy. I am who I am."
0: Yeah, I mean, I I do enjoy the story. I just I wish I agree with Wes Craven. Like we took too many liberties with like the the rules of how Freddy works. It, it's it, too ambiguous now.
1: Without without seeing any of the rest of the movies, yeah. If they maintain the rules of Freddy mm-hmm. being a killer in your dreams throughout the rest of the series, mm-hmm. then I I would understand that complaint. But to my mind, it. It's also that it's it's like the John Carpenter thing. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is not really to shade Wes Craven, but it is interesting that when John Carpenter was taught, it, you know, discussed the sequel for Halloween, mm-hmm. his whole thing and his thing has always been, he's like, look, if they want to make sequels, I don't give a shit. I just am not going to
0: make it. And that's fine.
1: Versus I think this sequel is bad because you didn't do it the way I would, which is like, well, then you should have done it yourself, man. Yeah,
0: that's fair. And you know spoiler alert he's gonna come back to the franchise
1: <laughs> good that's good but i it, it is that it is that difference and and like i i respect the john carpenter move just a little bit more of like i i get that it's a cash cow and they're gonna do what they do i'm just not gonna be a part of it.
0: <laughs> well there isn't there is an element of if you want to control what happens then you have to be in charge it's that's,
1: really true and yeah. and you know the the flip side is, is that Wes Craven is also kind of like John Carpenter. He has singular ideas and mm-hmm. he doesn't really want to revisit them.
0: Until he, he does. <laughs> uh,
1: I would, yeah, but throughout most of his movies, like he did come back, of course, but throughout most of his stuff, you see him. It's like, I tell one story mm-hmm. and then I move on to a new one. Oh,
0: that's right.
1: So I, he- it is what it is. I just that complaint doesn't ring quite as true to me as the fact that. It's an 80s horror movie. The dialogue's real bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really our bigger problem here is the dialogue.
1: I will say the acting has improved significantly from the original. Okay.
0: I I don't know that I agree with
1: that. Everybody's um, a lot more believable in this movie.
0: Well, let's let's not let's not rush to the actors. <laughs> let's talk about our directors. Okay. So our director for this one is Jack Shoulder. Uh, before this, he directed Alone in the Dark after The Hidden Renegades, pretty much every TV movie you've ever heard of, and then most recently, Supernova. Okay.
1: <laughs> it, it's it's 80s horror movie sequels. The directors are never going to be big names.
0: Rarely are they big
1: names. Because for a lot of times, this is how people get their start. Oh, sure. Is doing a franchise sequel. and It's like, well, now you get a chance. Here you go.
0: I mean, I think. The direction is fine. I think, you know, like things look good. The effects on this film are great, um, just like they were in the first one.
1: Yeah, the effects are just as good as the first one Mm -hmm. if attuned in a slightly different way. The first one really goes for the creep factor. Yeah. This one very much goes for the gore factor.
0: Yes. A lot more shock and awe on this one.
1: And both work for their respective stories. Sure. The first one has this very fun blend of gallows humor mixed with horrifying creepiness. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't really find that in the tone. Mm-hmm. Like it either goes too far one direction or the other. And so while I am giggling the whole time, I don't get a line as cool as in the original when freddy's haunting this girl and she goes oh god and he goes this is god that's amazing (laughs) it's pretty good this doesn't really have that no and it has a lot more silly shit that i'm like why
0: well i think it's because they play the silly because they don't want to play into the homosexual undertones so they don't know what they're doing and also again they've broken the freddy rules so we don't know what's happening Yeah, I think we just didn't, I think we just, especially with what was going on with Robert Shea, I think we just didn't know what tone we were going to get in each scene. (laughs) So I think it's a little inconsistent. Jack Shoulder couldn't direct the pool house love scene without cracking up or laughing, so he gave it to an assistant to direct instead.
1: Oh, goddammit.
0: Which I'm like...
1: Then why are we doing it?
0: Like, exactly. Why are we doing it? Or why can't you make it funny? Like, just two fumbling teenagers not knowing what they're doing and they start laughing because they don't know what they're doing. And that would also make complete sense with Jesse being gay. Like, well, that, you could have used that and made that scene lighter.
1: It, you know why? Because it was the 80s and sexes. Sex is this big thing and not funny.
0: <laughs> not everything is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, people, okay?
1: For, for people making this kind of stuff, it absolutely is. Oh,
0: I know. It pushed the envelope a lot. All right. We've, we've said enough great things about him, so let's get into the cast. We start, of course, with Robert England as Freddy Krueger. I'm going to give his credits now, but you know what they are. Before <laughs> this, he was in Buster and Billy sunburst hustle stay hungry a star is born 1976 big wednesday a good chunk of tv movies and shows a nightmare on elm street after this nightmare on elm street three dream warriors a nightmare on elm street four the dream master a nightmare on elm street the dream child the phantom of the opera 1989 the adventures of ford farlane freddy's dead the final nightmare dance macabre night terrors new nightmare the mangler urban legend Freddy versus Jason and Stranger Things. What do we think of Robert England?
1: He's fucking Freddy Krueger.
0: He's the shit. He's just the shit.
1: He will be constant throughout this entire series. Sure. Not that he's doing anything over the top amazing.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Not that he's doing anything underwhelming. He just is. Mm-hmm. That's all he needs to be. He understands this character inside and out. And so he just embodies Freddy Krueger. That's it. <laughs> there's there's not a whole lot else to say about England. Mm-hmm. You do get a little, I mean, because of the conflict in him possessing someone, mm-hmm. you do actually get these cool moments where he suddenly becomes tender Freddy. Yes. Which is kind of fun to watch. Yeah. You know, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I kind of wish they had pushed this idea until later on mm-hmm. where it's like. He's doing all this killing in the dream world and then something prevents him from doing it and now the only way he can do it is to possess somebody in the real world. Yeah. Like this kind cool. of plot is something you do in a, in a fourth or a fifth movie, you know? Sure. You don't do it right away. Mm. So I think maybe that's part of the overall issue, but I feel like we're going to be a broken record about him the whole time. Hey, look, it's Freddy.
0: <laughs> well, New Line Cinema... Originally didn't ask Robert England to return as Freddy Krueger.
1: Okay, fuck them forever.
0: Refused to give him a pay raise.
1: Jesus Christ.
0: A stuntman was cast as Freddy at the start of production. And after two weeks of filming, Robert Shea realized this was a terrible lapse in judgment, fired Mm -hmm. the stuntman, hired England, and met his demands. For all of the bullshit that Robert Shea put this production through, he corrected this mistake.
1: It's not a good idea. You Your. need him there. It's like it's it, it's like Mike Myers. You if you really want it to work, you need Nick Castle. Yeah. If you really it, want it to work, it's worse
0: no. than Nick Castle because Nick Castle, you never see his fucking face.
1: I know. The but this the body still.
0: Everything's based on this guy's face and his movements. If you get a different guy, you're fucked. Uh-huh. It's like trying to replace Doug Jones. You cannot do it. No. <laughs> All right. Next we go into our second lead, uh, Mark Patton as Jesse Walsh. Before this, he was in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Um, And then after this, he really wasn't in a whole lot. He was in a lot of Broadway circles. He appeared in the original production of Come Back. But yeah.
1: He's a Broadway guy. He's a Broadway guy. And it reads. Yeah. His scream is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. You've got the body.
0: I've got the brain. His his scream is really good.
1: He is truly a scream queen. Yeah.
0: He's very good. He is very good. He himself is gay. Um, However, Hollywood being the way they are, he really struggled with it. So he was not out during this time. Chaskin included the subtext in the script due to his character, but then the writer denied it and then blamed Patton for playing the character too gay.
1: Die in a fire.
0: Yeah. But, you know, because he's a gay horror icon and he's out about his sexuality, like this is this has become a great thing for him. And eventually Chaskin was forced to admit that he included the information in the movie on purpose.
1: That's fucking right. You did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dick.
0: He finds it funny that he is considered the first male scream queen uh, and that he used to laugh about the fact that he was depicted on screen screaming like a girl because he viewed the character as a closeted gay man.
1: Because he was in the fucking script. I know, it makes
0: complete sense.
1: Everything about it points to that. All the all the issues he has with Lisa, mm-hmm. all the different stuff. And again, if you really wanted to thread that needle, and they were never going to pull this off in 85, mm. okay? So what they did, if you'd had a couple of extra things in there, that's about as far as you could have pulled it off. Like a mm-hmm. couple more scenes with some extra subtext. Yeah. Again, you could do this today and actually center it around Jesse is so incredibly confused, and that is why Freddy has picked him. Mm-hmm.
0: Because because of that inner conflict,
1: and Jesse has to overcome that conflict to defeat Freddy. Sure. And that makes for a really cool story <laughs> yeah. because Freddy Freddy's feeding on his insecurity, and only when he can get past that can he finally defeat Krueger. Mm-hmm. But we couldn't do that, so. We just get all of this this iconic imagery of it, which just plays so well. And when you because I kind of knew that, then I was able to watch it through that lens and be like, "This is amazing, oh, yeah, <laughs> because nobody knows what the hell's actually going on in these scenes,
0: oh, sure. Robert England said in one behind the scenes documentary that he was fully aware of these elements, and he was super excited to get to, like, play with those interactions with you know between freddie and jesse but mark Patton said that um he did have to say no to some of like the business like freddie putting his knives in jesse's mouth was like no nah, it's just too much <laughs> that is too gay for me <laughs> that is fair <laughs> i get it i get it we do have a who could have been better oh, okay Michael J. Fox was considered for the role, but was unable due to his commitments with Back to the Future and Teen Wolf.
1: Yeah, no.
0: I would love to see 1980s era Michael J. Fox in a horror film.
1: Well, technically Teen Wolf was that.
0: Teen Wolf is not a horror
1: film. I know, but that's how it was billed.
0: I, I would like to see Michael J. Fox in a horror film in this era. I don't know if it, this one would work for him.
1: He- he was on his way to be an actual movie star.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm glad that he isn't here because it would honestly be totally distracting now. Mm -hmm. It would take me out of the elements that are interesting about this movie and just be like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that it really wouldn't make any sense to anybody at this point because he's coming off family ties. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows him as the absolute charming jerk reaganite yeah. kid and is getting ready to be a full-on movie star putting him in a b movie just doesn't make any sense i know I, well and it's just to me if you put him in a horror movie put him in something different and bigger
0: true but like you he, he's the one he's the face on the poster who gets killed in the first opening scene that's who he should be, be fun. yeah give him the scream drew barrymore treatment
1: I just, I think it would, it's better that it's somebody I don't know Mm -hmm. being in this movie because of just how it sits in the canon.
0: (laughs) I do agree. I I kind of prefer when the lead of a horror film is, they don't have to be unknown, but a little less flashy. It's because of the stakes. Unless you're really going to like, you're going to cast some crazy, awesome movie star and you're going to kill him right away. Like, do it, do it. I mean, but it doesn't happen to. Yes and no.
1: It, dep- it depends on the kind of horror movie you're making.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. If you're doing psychological horror, please give me an amazing actor. <laughs> I want an amazing actor all the time, but some of them are very high-priced. Mm, yes. That new line couldn't fucking afford it. That's for sure. Know. All
0: right. Next, we have Kim Myers as Lisa Weber. This is her debut film. After this, she was in In the Mood, Illegally Yours, State Park, White Palace, a bunch of TV. Hellraiser bloodline and the pretender. What do we think of Kim Myers?
1: She's present.
0: She is there and knows her lines. <laughs>
1: She's a little bit better than that.
0: She was allegedly cast due to her resemblance to Meryl Streep. And Vaguely. She no, she really does. If she like if you look at um Meryl Streep's daughters, Mammy or Grace, she looks so much like them. Yeah. She really does. Mark Patton was also very insistent on wanting her for the role of Lisa. Okay, so they they are appropriately awkward together. So okay, fine.
1: It's it's just it's such a failure of imagination of writing a female character. Sure, (laughs) yeah, Um, it's just so badly done. Not not well done. Like at least Nancy, at least Nancy in the original one has a shit ton of agency. Is thought out and crafted well. And mm. the failures in that movie were just due to greenness of actors. Sure. And not the actual meat of the script. Here, it's both
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> to some degree. It's it's that thing of Kim Myers is a perfectly fine actress, but she has nothing to work with. So it's not like she has anything she can elevate.
0: <laughs> yeah. Next, we have Robert Russler as Ron Grady, the best friend. Before this, he was in Weird Science. After this, he was in Vamp Thrashen. Sometimes they come back, Babylon 5. And then he had a lot of guest star appearances and random roles.
1: He's a big, meaty himbo. He is a meaty himbo. Who we think, this is a pretty fun fake out. We think he's going to be a bully.
0: Yeah. We start the way they started that out with him, like them not getting along, and then they just become like best friends through detention, essentially. Was great. I wish we had a little bit more development of that relationship. Well, because you know
1: where that's headed.
0: Sure, and I'm fine with that. I would have loved more of that. Right. Uh, because we went from zero to best friends very quickly.
1: And w- and what it should have been was zero to huh. You're kind of cool to best friends to oh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then in that last minute of oh, that is when Ron gets killed by. Mm -hmm. Freddie Possession. Yeah. Again, the heartbreak from Jesse reads even deeper Mm -hmm. when you actually have that there.
0: Oh, totally. damn it. (laughs) No. Robert Ressler auditioned for the role of Grady on the last day of shooting Weird Science. Robert Downey Jr. drove him to the audition.
1: The 80s were so fucking weird, man.
0: Weird time, man. All right. Our
1: Random people of note.
0: I was hoping you would do the song. (laughs) got hope Lang as mrs walsh she's a 50 star who had notable appearances in clear and present danger blue velvet and death wish marshall bell is coach snyder um he's one of those that guys uh he was also in starship Trooper*, stand by me and total recall
1: you ever want a smarmy military asshole you hire this dude
0: yeah you just want a guy who yell at yells at people in gym shorts this is your guy he's
1: <laughs> like the angrier henry zerny
0: kind of yeah christy clark as angela walsh she went on to do a 33 year run in 1619 episodes of days of our lives incredible that's insane some
1: people find soaps and it is their calling and good for them and
0: soaps are a wild ride like that is tv on
1: steroids it's a totally unique style of acting that if you manage to land it if you can make that kind of a run doing it, it means you have some otherworldly type of skill.
0: <laughs> you, have a, you have a gear, particularly for memorization, that mm-hmm. is unmatched. Lyman Ward as Mr. Grady. It's Ferris Bueller's dad.
1: huh Yeah, he's just here.
0: Yeah. Steve Eastman as a policeman. Um, he was one of the Black Sox in Field of Dreams and a guard in Con Air, previously covered in the series. Mm-hmm. We have Brian Wimmer. As the do-gooder, um, he was in the '90s Flipper series, and then we have Robert Shea, our producer, as the bartender in the bar that Jesse finds himself in.
1: I do like. It took me a second to think about do-gooder, and then I went, "Oh right, hey man, we're not gonna hurt you." <laughs> gah, gah, gah. <laughs> Why would you ever try to bargain with Freddy Krueger? I know.
0: All right, trivia. Trivia. Right. In the opening sequence, the bus driver is Robert England without the Freddie makeup. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Totally. He's got to show up occasionally.
1: You've got to throw him in there for some pepper.
0: This one's a tiny bit spoilery, but this is the only nightmare film in which the lead character is male. Oh, okay. That's pretty common. Yeah. Robert England did state that this was his least favorite Nightmare on
1: Elm Street movie. That makes sense given the production was... Uh Uh-huh. Like oftentimes, because I'm going to tell you, this, I I got a feeling this isn't going to be my worst one. Fair. But I totally get when actors are like, yeah, I understand y'all love that movie, but it was hell, so absolutely
0: not. The experience (laughs) making it was not great, so I don't love talking or thinking about
1: it. Don't want to watch it. Thanks. Valid.
0: Valid. Makeup effects artist Kevin Yeager replaced David B. Miller, who designed the Freddie makeup for the original. Yeager only had a few pictures of the original film as reference, so he redesigned Freddie's look. Um, he studied pictures of burn victims and made changes, mostly to bring out the facial bones, and he really wanted to make Freddie look more like a male witch. Um, and he gave uh, Freddie red and amber eyes to make him more demonic looking.
1: It worked. I like it. You do get a lot more detail with him so yeah. you can see his expressions a lot more.
0: Yeah, I do like the bringing out the facial bones thing because I think it works better. Like his face is more expressive that
1: way. Yeah, in the, original, really well. in the original, it's all his body. It's, a, it's, a, it's more body. And in this one, you're actually getting to see his face as well.
0: Yeah. Whale song was added to the background music anytime Freddie was on screen, adding to the film's eerie dream feeling.
1: This is before we had created some of the modern horror musical instruments that we use now.
0: The film was extremely well-received in Europe as residents of those countries caught and loved. the sexual overtones, this overseas popularity, is what convinced producers to continue making sequels.
1: The thing they absolutely wanted to hide Uh is the thing that sold people on it. Mm -hmm. God bless these cocaine-addled doofuses. The
0: room, which used to be Nancy's old bedroom, has a different layout. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, the door was attached to the same wall as the window, whereas in this film, the door is more in the middle. And it's possible the house was partially remodeled in between the the events of the film, but it's just, it's noticeably different.
1: That is, that is one of the biggest stretches I can think of, because I guarantee you it's the set designer did not pay attention to the old one.
0: Correct. The dance scene was meant to be an homage to risky business. But Mark Patton was reluctant to filming it. He kept getting pushed and pushed. It was originally stated in one of the documentaries that Patton choreographed the scene himself and told filmmakers to just roll the camera. Patton later said in an interview that there was nothing that Jesse did in the film that wasn't scripted and that he did everything exactly As he was told to.
1: So yeah. See here's the funniest thing is. We talked about risky business. Yeah. This season that scene was completely improvised by Tom Cruise. Yeah. And it reads as so much more natural than whatever this shit is he's doing.
0: Unlike the first film this film shows Freddie's sweater has stripes on the sleeves. In the previous film the stripes were only on the torso of the sweater and the sleeves were solid red. Mm. When Lisa finds Nancy's diary while helping Jesse unpack, she reads the address as 1428 Elm Street. The address of the house used for all exterior shots is 1428 North Genzie Avenue in West Hollywood. Another fun fact, that house was recently sold. And when it was sold, the owner was released at the same, or the previous owner, we don't know who the new, new owner is. The previous owner was Lorene Scafaria the director of hustlers as well as a bunch of other things but that was her that's her big claim to fame she is also the longtime partner of Bo burnham this house has a guest house in the back and that is where Bo burnham filmed inside so the nightmare on elm street house (laughs) has been working a lot over the years
1: more more existential horror just and of a different kind
0: absolutely the school used in this film is also used in The Karate Kid from 1984.
1: You find a good high school, you're going to use it forever.
0: Especially in LA. Yeah. Uh, special effects man Rick Lazzarini created a demonic parakeet puppet for the scene in which the pet bird flies around and explodes. The puppet was not used because the filmmakers wanted a regular looking
1: bird. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's always fun when they mock something up and then everybody looks at like, Ah, it looks like shit.
0: (laughs) Jesse has a hat and a separate green and red sweater in his closet, a reference to the fact that Freddy Krueger is possessing his body while he's sleeping. Yep. Jesse's car is the same car used in the television series Freddy's Nightmares. That doesn't start until 1988. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, the front door is blue and the convertible is red. In this film, the front door is red and the convertible is blue. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm in the breakfast scene near the beginning the family is eating foo man Choose cereal. Dear
1: god. Mhm. The sheer amount of puns they wanted to goddamn make in the 80s out of out of necessity because they could not license actual breakfast cereals. Sure.
0: The original glove from Nightmare on Elm Street was used again in this movie. Of course.
1: Mhm. Why wouldn't you?
0: Well, so, well, sometimes things get redesigned. So, since they redesigned his makeup, I could see them reusing, re- like redesigning, like the knife hands.
1: Now, nah, you got to keep the same knife hand. Yeah. You got to keep that one thing constant.
0: Something. Well, he's got a hat and he's wearing red and green. So, there you go.
1: He, they changed the sweater.
0: They did change the sweater, but also he, they didn't have the arm effect this time that they had in the first one. So, it makes a little more sense. All right. That brings us to ratings.
1: Ratings.
0: Every film we have our own specific ratings. This time, I mean, I think for the whole series, it's got to be Freddy Knife Hands.
1: Oh, we can do better than that. How many nice fingers? Be specific things? Demon Parrots.
0: Fine. How many Demon Parakeets are we gonna give
1: this film? <laughs> you go first. It's your movie. Ah, uh,
0: yeah, I'm doing this series. And 3.5. Ooh, 3.5. Like the story, solid. Solid story beats, fine, but. Like, we need a major, like, pass through on this dialogue, and we need to pump up the gay. <laughs> <laughs> You're losing one point for dialogue and half a point for toning down the gay. I want a super gay Freddy.
1: I'm going three. Okay. Primarily for the same reasons, and no. it's, it is a very entertaining watch. You will stick through it. I still, goddamn, the way they do adults with these movies is so dumb. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do like that in more modern horror, like the parents aren't completely idiots. Sometimes they're oblivious, but they're not both oblivious and dumb.
1: And to be fair to the script, that is a key component of the Freddy series and that the grownups are refusing to believe.
0: Yeah, but I, fine.
1: You can do that in a way that also doesn't make them look like buffoons that yeah. you cannot, you know comprehend that they would act in this way around their own fucking children. Mm. Jesse's dad is just god-awful. Yeah. <laughs> so it, that probably knocks it down that extra half a point. But I mean it's it's really watchable and fun. I just they're beyond our our two leads, everything else is just kind of meh. Very much so. So while it's really entertaining, while it's a really interesting take on in the story and I'm not as I, I don't have as many problems with the story changes that they made. I I do think we need a little bit better rounding out of everything here. Fair. So then that leads us to what Diana? Where 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 do we go next with Freddy Knife Hands?
0: So next one is Nightmare on Elm Street Three: Dream Warriors.
1: Ooh! Do you think we're going back into dreams? I think there will be more dreaming. Do you think there'll be wars? W- warriors within those dreams? I think people will have to
0: survive and fight Freddy, therefore they are warriors.
1: Oh.
0: And now this one I definitely have seen bits of from being on television and it was very confusing and I keep mixing it up in my brain with 21 Jump Street and I think that's because of Johnny Depp.
1: <laughs> All I know is there was supposedly some very big dream warriors vibes going on in Riverdale for a couple episodes.
0: Ooh, okay. That'll be interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Well, until next time.
0: Have a good movie.